This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur, head instructor at SealFit's Unbeatable Mind Academy, executive coach at Spartan 7, and director of human resilience at Aperion Zoy. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today, an online resource for all topics related to body-oriented psychology. Today's guest is Jan Winhall. Jan is a psychotherapist in private practice and director of Focusing on Borden, a center for teaching focusing and focus-oriented therapy. Jan is the author of Understanding and Treating Addiction with the Felt Sense Experience Model and an Emerging Practice in Focus-Oriented Psychotherapy, Innovative Theory and Applications. Jan teaches internationally and is a lecturer in the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Toronto. She is currently writing a book about her felt sense polyvagal model for treating addiction. Hi, Jan. Hi, Michael. Good to see you. You too. So how did you discover the body for yourself that eventually led you in, in academic study to utilize it as the focus of your therapeutic work? So this goes back to... Um, shockingly 40 years ago <laughs> I've been doing this work for a long time now and uh, and I started in uh, working with a group of young women uh, who were incest survivors mm. and imagine you know here I am fresh out of school graduate school I for some reason I I knew um, I knew how to listen without bringing a lot of layers of, of theory or um, diagnoses or any of that, any, any content. I really just knew that I needed to be with these women and listen to what their stories were, what their experience was. And as I did that, I learned more and more about what was happening for them physically in their bodies. Um, and I realized that as they, they were talking about all of these behaviors that they were engaged in that seemed really bizarre and really troublesome at the time, like ones that we're more familiar with, like drinking a lot or doing a lot of drugs, but also lots of compulsive sexual acting out, lots of cutting their bodies, um, chewing on bars of soap, um, just things that I, I, it really some of them really puzzled me. And of course they were deeply disturbing. But as I listened to what they were describing and followed through with their experience, um, I saw in their bodies and I heard them talk about a kind of physical release or a, um, a relief that this behavior brought. Okay. And I could see it when they would kind of go into it and in the in the group session and talk about it. I could see the what well, in focusing we call the felt shift in their bodies and it's a physiological shift. So eventually years later when I discovered polyvagal theory I realized oh my it's this is a shift in the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I needed to pay attention to the body because this was where all the trauma was living. 
Now you you talked about you being able to listen deeply with without judgment, without all the uh, academic theories on top of the diagnostic mm-hmm. and statistical manual yeah. and all that stuff. That's actually a rare skill, even among therapists. I know. Did you have is is that something you developed or cultivated growing up? As a I don't know. Girl, <laughs> I I maybe um, I mean. I grew up with a pretty uh, questioning and intelligent mother okay. um, who was in the business to some extent herself. Okay. And, and I think that was, that was part of it. I mean, she had her issues for sure, uh, but, but there were gifts that she gave me and maybe that was one of them in a way. And then I just felt it in my own body. So, and I was, I was very critical uh, already of the, the current psychiatric system because I could see the way in which it was really misogynistic. Um, and my mother was a staunch feminist. So definitely that was part of how I, how I got to that. But it was also very disrespectful to, to men too, who, who were particularly falling under this diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, which we still see now as, um, um, can be often very problematic and very judgmental the way that people approach it, right? But back then it was really bad, <laughs> like like just shockingly a, a, a bad. And so here I was in this kind of, in a psychiatric, I was working in a general hospital, but in the psychiatric ward. Okay. And all these young women who'd been sexually assaulted by their fathers or stepfathers were now becoming psychiatric patients on medication, with diagnoses. And in my mind, they were victims of violence, sexual violence. And, and also the attitude was just really, because people didn't understand the addictive, the, the behaviors, these behaviors that became addictive because they worked. Yeah. They brought relief into the body because the body didn't know any other way of bringing relief because there was no safe place. Um, before we get into your training in the, in the felt sense, then your studying of the polyvagal model, um, you know, you, so you talked about perhaps perhaps where your active listening skills came from, mm-hmm. your inquisitive, your, your query from your, you know, not, not that you had to come from your mom, but you know, she was Some a good role did. model. Some of it yeah. sounds good. Yeah. But e- even with that, um, active listening with the ears is a lot different than active listening with your whole body. Yes. So how did, was it an intuitive thing when you're sitting there that you just felt that there was something going on on the other side of their body that you could feel through yours? So it wasn't yeah. just hearing, but it's feeling yeah, deeply? It was feeling deeply, which I've always been drawn to, mm. um, to deep experiencing. I've, I don't know. I mean, who knows what that's all about? <laughs> but it's thank goodness I never, I never lost that. And it's good, yeah, yeah, and and it's it's well, it's really the kernel of what of what my work is about and what I really want to get out there in terms of addiction. One more question: When you're working with these young young ladies in the psychiatric mm-hmm. ward. Did you find yourself when you like went home for the night or you finished your shift? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you deal with your own, if this was in fact a problem or a challenge for you, the energy that you kind of perhaps took in yeah. from your work with these ladies? Mm-hmm. How did you yeah, discharge that, that or deal with that? Yeah, that, that part of it, I didn't know 
so much how to deal. And back then we didn't even talk about it. There was yeah. no talk about compassion fatigue or, you know, secondary trauma. We were on our own. Um, and I got definitely got traumatized, vicariously traumatized. No question about that. It was really tough. I did um, become, we started a feminist therapist uh, group in Toronto and that helped a lot even though in the beginning we didn't really talk about that part of it a lot but as we stayed with the work more and got to trust each other more and also just became more and more traumatized mm. it, it just it spilled out and that was uh, that was definitely helpful the feminist community in the 80s was wonderful for that I mean we had Judith Herman we had amazing people um, Judith Herman, Trauma and Recovery, just a brilliant woman. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, Chris Courtois, lots of, of people that were doing the, the work and really were very, very strong mentors for us then. That's excellent. Good. Yeah. Good for you. Because yeah. that's a very difficult energy to sit with if you don't have oh. support. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, you sounds like you kind of had a, you've cultivated the ability to be with people through deep listening and through the body in and in kind of an intuitive way of being with people. But then you, it was kind of that, that way of being was channeled through a training. Yes. How did you discover uh, felt sense and that whole system? Well, that, that was wonderful because back then in the eighties, again, it was just, there was so much happening and we had these amazing conferences and through, I started working with um, uh, several people who um, would be now diagnosed as having a dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. Don't like the word. Um, um, I call it an adaptation. Um, and I, again, I mean, it was really over the top. It's like, whoa, what am I doing here? Um, but very, of course, very intrigued and, and, uh, and so when I went to one of these conferences, they said, oh, there's this wonderful focusing oriented therapist, Mary Armstrong, and she's doing, she's doing trainings in working with people with multiplicity. So I signed up and um, another woman too, Margot Rivera was doing the work. So we had a community. We had a strong community of women who were supporting uh, women. And at that time, too, of course, people very seldom talked about boys or men being sexually abused. That was 40 years ago. Forget it. Right. Now we are much more sophisticated. But And so I signed up with Mary and I learned all about how to even deepen this process mm -hmm. of, of listening into the body, into what we call the felt sense. And that that was like giving me like a... Uh, a motor <laughs> to just, you know, really keep going into this and develop it more and more. This is the work of Jean Gendlin. So how did that work affect you personally? Not, not as a therapist, because obviously it's affected you as a therapist in a really positive way to work with your clients. Yeah. But how did it help you in any way, maybe transform the way you were with yourself? With myself? Well, yeah. I entered psychotherapy with Mary. Okay. And so that's really how I learned the process was to do my own work. And I, right. I talk about that in the book, how the first day I ever went to see her and she, she, I was so overwhelmed with vicarious trauma. Um, and I just started crying and she mm. said, Oh, your tears are welcomed here. And the way that she said it, it was like, 
right from the beginning, she paid attention to the process, mm. not the content. Mm. And she just made this big space to welcome whatever came into it. She was remarkable at making this kind of space that was so undefined and yet so comforting and safe at the same time. There's a paradox. <laughs> yeah. And That's so awesome. I, I worked through my own journey there of mm -hmm. understanding myself and what was getting triggered and how to work with triggers inside myself in a focusing way. Mm -hmm. And then I just got so keen about it. I did, I did the training with her. For our viewing and listening audience who might not know about uh, Gendler's work and focusing, can you just do like a minute primer on sure, it? Sure, yeah. So Gene Gendlin, um was the fellow who actually coined the term felt sense. And, you know, now we, we're, we're hearing it more and more in the last couple of years, all of the somatic therapists and whatever mm -hmm. talking about felt sense. Um, uh, Peter Levine knew Jean, and you know when when Peter Levine started talking about felt sense and somatic experiencing, I think you know more and more people have begun to to have a sense of what it is. Although I also think people don't totally know what it is. So yes, I welcome being able to talk to it. So what what Gendlin discovered was what he called initially the direct referent. So when people are, if I'm here with you, Michael and I start to pay attention to what's happening inside my body. And I notice that I've got a kind of tightness, a little bit of tightness in my upper chest, some uh, tingling around um, my arms and legs. Cause well, I'm a little bit up in that sympathetic because I'm excited and I'm enjoying being with you and sharing this stuff. So then if, I, if, if that's just the sensations, that's not a felt sense. A felt sense would be that if I go inside and I start to get curious about this whole situation, the feelings that I have. So I talk about kind of avenues into exploring a felt sense, the feelings, the thoughts, yeah. the physical sensations in the body. And then also I've, I've really particularly added memory Okay. Because when you work with trauma, you're working with memory, which is not just from the past, it's in the body now, mm -hmm. right? So we would go in there into that in the body. And as you stay with that, if you're accompanied by somebody that is doing what you're doing right now, which is really, I feel like you're really being with me, you're really being with me. I don't feel any, you know, kind of agenda. You're here right with me. As we stay with all of that and really get curious about it, more of it starts to come. And as it comes and builds, it, it kind of becomes more and more intricate. And as you spend more time with it, it tells a story. And often if you have an issue, so focusing, we often uh, pay attention to an issue in our life. So there's something in there that wants to come about this issue and you can feel the fullness of it. And when you stay with it, and then sometimes we ask questions, we drop them down, not up here in the head, but down in the body. And then we look for this physiological shift in the body that sometimes comes, not always. Uh, but 
sometimes you'll get this kind of, oh, that's what's bugging me about this. That's why I feel so upset. And it's not just insight. It's an actual full-bodied understanding, physical. And what, what it is, is a neurophysiological shift in the body, often from either sympathetic or dorsal down to ventral. Yeah. And you feel, and that's what I saw in these young women. And then when I started working with focusing and studying it and reading what Gendlin had written, this is exactly what he saw in the process that he then did research on and realized that when people can do this, when they engage in this depth of experiencing, um, this is what produces change. So I'm going to ask you in a, in a moment to talk about the autom- autonomic nervous system, a little bit greater detail in the, in the um, polyvagal model. But before I do, so I just want to make sure I'm clear on what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Um, a lot of psychotherapeutic uh, models start with the why. Once yeah. you know your story, mm-hmm. you have an insight, and allegedly that changes things. Most the of the times it d- doesn't, but that's kind of the theory. Mm-hmm. What I hear you saying is that there's a, complex how like all these different variables that you're exploring through kind of an inquiry process of how how your whole embodied cognition like how you embody whatever the the story then emerges from that as opposed to having a story which you explore right is that yes yes it's it's like you can talk about it in different you can talk about it in terms of top down so in the top-down model, a traditional kind of scientific model that most psychotherapies are, yeah. are based on, right? It's about content and dividing things up into little you know, boxes or units or diagnostic categories and getting the content and having the client have insight or different theories will have different explanations. Yeah. But none of them actually really talk about what makes the change. Yeah. You know, and this is what I've just been reading, uh, Gendlin, because I'm writing about him. Um, And he has this beautiful paper, The Theories of Personality Change. And he says, you know, we can talk about repression and things come, they come to us and we understand them. But what really creates the change? And what he's saying is it comes from bottom up. It comes from this bodily felt sense of aliveness and, um, and the shift that comes. So we can also talk about it in terms of, you know, post-Descartes, after, uh, so when when we fell deeply into this really cognitively-based, real split, you know, with the mind-body, and it's damaged us so badly, Mm -hmm. so deeply and badly. What's really exciting, though, is that we're seeing more and more now um, what you know, the experiential psychotherapists, Carl Rogers and Gendlin were talking about back in the 50s and the 60s. Right. Yeah. And if that's really exciting and very, very hopeful. Well, it's, it's very exciting. And not that we have to get into a critique of culture, but you talked about kind of the patriarchal, psychiatric, yeah. and I'll add medical, medical model yes. that we've been dealing with for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Descartes is kind of like the father of that kind yes. of worldview. And that your time in the 80s with kind of the, the feminist movement mm-hmm. kind of uh, challenged that model. And this is kind of a continuation. And we don't have yes. to necessarily put it in, in a feminist uh, category, mm-hmm. but this is a continuation of, of that 
challenge to the mind body split that we are in embodied beings yeah when you make that split you have a whole host of problems including all those poor women 40 years ago yeah who are polypharmacies psychiatrically diagnosed yes. and you know, all that kind of good yeah. stuff all, yeah. all that kind of good stuff yeah. all the kind of bad stuff yeah um you know with with all the what you're talking about do you see obviously with your clients and the people that you train with shifts are happening but do you see changing in the psychology or in psychiatric systems themselves in the institutions, or are they just kind of lagging way behind? I think essentially no. Yeah. Um, I, I, there may be little pockets where people, yeah. I don't want to, you know, just rag on people in those yeah. institutions. They're working hard. They're mostly really good people and all that. But I'm, I'm always, I mean, for example, now the, the government's just given all this money for therapy for mental health for people because of COVID, COVID yeah. and all the money's going to CBT. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I think CBT is horrible, but I think CBT in connection with a, a real embodiment, like using some of those CBT skills, but we have to go into the body. Yeah. That's where it lives. We live in our bodies. We are not machines. Right. Very true. <laughs> so, uh, so let me go back and ask you the question about the autonomic nervous system and the polyvagal theory. Mm -hmm. And then I do want to talk about your addiction yeah. model. Uh, you, you talked about parasympathetic uh, sympathetic activation. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about, and we can use the, 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 the ladies from 40 years ago who you saw as clients, maybe use them as the reference point of what you saw in their automatic nervous system, refer mm -hmm. like re referring back to them. Maybe you didn't know it at the time. Yes. You, you had an intuitive hit this was going on, but now you can explain it. Can well, you explain I understand. what you saw? Yeah, I, I understood it. I think, you know, most of us understand flight, fight, freeze. Mm -hmm. And we, we had that language back then too. And I could see that, that they were, I could see that they were either going into this kind of flight, fight place where the body would tense up a lot, you know, um, either for, through fear or anger <clears throat> or sometimes a bit of both. And then I could also see where they were dropping down into a dissociated state. And, you know, we didn't talk about the dorsal vagus then. Um, and I mean, some people still don't talk about the dorsal vagus, but, um, but we did talk about a dissociation and trance states. And you could see that too, because the body would kind of, the shape of the body would fold in, yep. you know? And there was a lot of that that would go on in the room where people were either clenched up or folded in like that. And then as we, we, we developed this incredible, incredible kind of emotional intimacy and safety in the moment anyway, they weren't safe otherwise, but, but we did develop moments of safety together and, uh, and people really revealed incredible stories that were horrendous, but you could see, and this is something Jenlyn points out a lot, and you can see this when you work with the body like this, right? Where, where even when these horrific things are being referenced and, and um, paid attention to, when that happens and they're horrific, even, it doesn't matter how horrible or painful they are, the, the body releases and, and people feel better because we paid attention. And Jendlin would say, oh, it likes it when I come there. 
And, and it's really interesting too, because you, you mentioned before, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the, these women's reactions to their trauma was not pathological as an adaption. They were trying to get to the same, if I hear you correctly, to a, a homeostatic homeostasis state. Yeah, they were, they were, I thought they were incredibly inventive. Yeah. And we all did as, as feminist therapists, we thought they were heroes. Uh, we, we, and there's a resurgence of that now with polyvagal theory, that, that understanding that these ways are adaptive yeah. and they need to really be honored. Yeah. We used to call it honoring the guard dogs. Mm. So it's not new. It's just that, you know, what polyvagal theory has given us is a, an, another way um, of understanding this how adaptive these ways are of surviving. And of course, it's given us lots of more wonderful things too. But the, the main, that main message isn't new. Um, before we get into your, your six Fs, <laughs> yeah. which I think is amazing. Um, one last question. When you talk about some of the women were you know, uh, in a hyper reactive, uh, sympathetic state. Yeah. Others were collapsed and kind of disassociative. Yeah. Did you ever find some were a mixture of the two? Yes. And that that's something that I think we're all kind of being really curious about yeah. now, right? And that people are, are we, we didn't, I don't know that we really talked about that 40 years ago in that group. We, or we had a way of talking about it. But now we really, people are really, I think because I spell it out so clearly on my model, yeah. they'll say to me, they'll say to me, but can't you be in both of those places at the same time? And that's where the, the beauty of, of taking something, you know, that Steve has created. And then as therapists, because he's not a therapist, we're working with it. We're seeing how do you really bring this model to life and it will change over time, I'm sure, in some ways. And it already has, because now we have these intertwining states or blended states. And so, yeah, and, and Peter Levine also talked about that, um, the ways in which you can be in sympathetic and parasympathetic at the same time. So you've kind right. of got your foot on the brake and the gas. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's jump into your, your model, mm -hmm. your uh, 6F model. <laughs> That's the client version. Okay. So I made two versions. One is a clinician version, which is a lot what people would look at it. And while it's kind of pretty, they'd get a bit scared. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I made a simple one. Yeah. Well, we can, we can, let's, we can do the clinician version since most people who be watching this will be uh, in the clinician space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and we'll, we'll also include a link so people can actually see what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. That would be great. Okay. But, yeah. you know, so addicted, rigidity, chaos, play, integrated stillness. Right. Break those down. <laughs> okay. Well, they correspond with the, the client version of the six Fs. Hmm. So if I break it down with the clinician version, the integrated state is the ventral vagus. Okay. And this uh, part of what happened in building the model is that I, over the years, the, after I really got into focusing-oriented therapy um, and, you know, trauma therapy and feminist therapy, and then this, this wave this of, of interpersonal neurobiology, the Siegel's work, and yeah. beautiful Bonnie Badenoch, and just wonderful work. And so that is um, another layer of the model. 
that came. And then after that, I really discovered polyvagal theory. So that's why I use quite a bit of the language of both in the clinician model. So um, chaos and rigidity. So chaos is the sympathetic branch of the nervous system that Siegel talks about in terms of chaos. And then rigidity is the dorsal branch of the, of the um, nervous system, the parasympathetic. So we've got the ventral down at the bottom of the model and then up into sympathetic, over into dorsal. And then what I, I realized when I, I went to, um, I had this model already, flight, fight, freeze. And I added for, for ventral, I called it flock because of the social engagement system. Mm -hmm. We flock together and mm -hmm. people like that. It made sense to them. Um, and then I, so I had that model already. And then I, um, I went to Deb Dana's, a two-day course on polyvagal theory, which was great. And I realized in looking at all this that the place I was calling addicted at the top of the model, in between the sympathetic and the dorsal, um, was really a, an intertwining state. That so show, so uh, Porges talks about play and stillness as intertwining states. You follow me? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I realized, okay, so if those are intertwining, say play is intertwining between um, the ventral vagus and sympathetic, then it's, it, I think what I'm saying is that a, the addiction serves as a kind of propeller and an intertwining propels the client from uh, either chaos to rigidity or rigidity to chaos. And people will tell you that they use certain things for different reasons, either because they feel too dead, so they've got to come alive, so they would maybe get into some kind of a stimulant or something pumps adrenaline a lot, or they feel too intensely sympathetic and they're looking to conk out. And so for me then, addiction is, is really about ways that we develop to manage our autonomic nervous system when we don't, we can't go down to a state of ventral. You know, it just struck me. I just had an image. Um, you just described at, at a different scale, almost every American or North American, maybe, I don't know about the Canadians, yeah. we drink our caffeine in the morning Yeah. and we have alcohol at night. I mean, yeah. and I'm not talking about like addiction at, yes. at that extreme quality, yes. extreme scale, but it's, is it yeah. it's just the scale is different? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And you know, the, the line <laughs> between, I mean, we all have to learn how to emotionally regulate, right? Mm -hmm. Between mm -hmm. flooding and numbing is what we used to call it. Flooding and numbing. I mean, really good words for enlivening something, right? In fact, they're in some ways better words than chaos and rigidity, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I wanted in the, th in the clinician model, I wanted to really, you know, use our theories. So, so match the language with the theory, um, so that we can, I mean, that's what a model is, right? You layer these different theories and then we work with them and we dispel them and we say they're wrong and they're right. And all of that, <laughs> we, right. we play with them. Play, play. Well, that's in your, it's in your chart too. Yeah. Um, but so let me ask you this. If, if. The, the vision is between if you if you're dead and you want to alive yourself or you're yes. too alive and you want to dead yourself um, if we look east or eastward 
towards meditation and yogic systems, as yes. an example. There are a lot of really interesting body-based practices, which mm -hmm. teaches how to do that uh, self-regulatory way. So you don't have yeah. to use exogenous chemicals. Yeah, well, like focusing is one of those practices. Uh, so, okay, yeah. so plug-in focusing, how yeah, that so, this works so, with this. So on the clinician model, uh, focusing and um, uh, a meditation practice or whatever would be uh, in what Steve uh, calls stillness. So it's a combination, a blending of ventral because you feel yeah. the body feels, uh, you know, grounded yeah. and also dorsal because you feel safe enough to mm -hmm. be immobilized. Yep. Yeah. And in the clinician, the, the client model, I call it flow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. But then talk about the other side when you want to activate yourself. Yeah. So play. Yeah. Or in the F's model, I call it fun. Yes. Um, play is, you know, what I, I always think about with that one is uh, when you, you know, you hear kids outside. Yeah. Um, or you're with your kids outside and you can hear them playing and, and you can hear that they feel it's fun and it's safe and they're laughing and everything. And then there's this moment where you, you hear the shift and all of a sudden somebody bursts into tears. Right. <laughs> and that's the shift that goes into uh, sympathetic mm -hmm. that, that somebody's gotten hurt and mm -hmm. either they're angry and they're going to fight or they're going to get the hell out of there. <laughs> right. And, and it's so interesting how our nervous systems as parents are so, we're so cued to that. Like, like you can hear a, a good parent will say, careful, you know, like when they know you can just feel that somebody's going to get hurt. hurt. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. But they so, don't stop anyway. <laughs> they're kids. They're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. That's um, so talk, walk us through if you had a client come in, Mm -hmm. and they have an addiction we can narcotics or alcohol mm -hmm. and whatever whatever one you want to use or let's talk a lot about behavioral addictions pick one I mean, those are huge right okay. do a lot of work with sex addiction okay uh, uh but it can be anything anything mm -hmm. that that helps you in the short term mm -hmm. it hurts you in the long term and you cannot stop doing it so walk us through you pick pick a client mm -hmm. pick pick your whatever kind of addiction that they have and then walk us through how you use the model with them so this is would be an interesting one say with sex addiction okay where there's a, a whole kind of um piece in the addictive behavior that's very trauma laden so somebody who is acting out sexually and um feels an incredible sense of uh, up into sympathetic, mm -hmm. an incredible sense of fear that they're going to get caught and shame. Um, and so we work with, first of all, just getting a, a sense of what, what's going on inside in the body around that. So working at first, of course, with trying to make a connection with the person and help to establish some sense of I'm here with you okay. and I do understand some of what's happening for you and I don't judge what is happening with you okay. and we together are going to be really curious about what's frightening you so much okay good good and then we do just lots of grounding if I can in the beginning because it's you know sometimes <laughs> 
you're just right in it, you know, before, and then you got to back up. And with focusing, we have lots of ways of working with similar, I think in, we all do these things in different ways of getting the right closeness and distance okay. from the intensity. So good, teaching good. at first, you know, to come back from the intensity of it, feet on the floor, okay. making contact, using co-regulation um, that we would say, for example, in polyvagal theory, right? So safety, say as much as we can, because the world is an unsafe place. Um, and then a lot of connecting in a little bit, because with addiction, of course, what you're trying to do is get away from your body. So it's fine for me, you know, to start talking about how wonderful it is to feel things. I don't do that in the beginning, that's for sure, because no, it's not wonderful. It's horrible to feel things. But slowly, and we're talking years, slowly begin to realize and work your way around the model so that people start to see that what first comes before this acting out behavior, what first comes and noticing what that is in the body slowly over time. Let, let me ask you about that because at one point, and I don't, it probably still does occur, but kind of in, there's a, within the post Reichian or, you know, uh, body, body oriented therapy world. Yeah. yeah. There is a group of people who really like to supercharge their clients and get them really active, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, probably a lot less now than there was yeah. 10, 15, 20, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. But from what I hear you saying is that lessons are learned that the client cannot handle that. Well, no, 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 no. And in fact, that's, that's why you that's, go so slow. Yes, very, very slow. And, and Jenlin talks about that a lot in terms of dead ends. So two dead ends in the process of therapy. One is flooding. It's a dead okay. end. Yeah. And the other is numbing. It's a dead end. Okay. So we're always working with emotional regulation. Okay. And, 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 and I found that just being, be, making a space where a person who's acting out in a way that they feel so shamed, making a space where, you know, you just ask the question so they feel they can tell you because you're ready to hear them. Right. And that in and of itself is huge. Yeah. It's huge. And then, you know, we can start working with how, what they want to do in terms of harm reduction or whatever. And that, that has to also come from the body. Yep. So when, when you're ready, how's that going to be? How do we pace it? But very titrated. Yeah. Excellent. Well, so when will we expect your book to come out? <laughs> well, <laughs> so, I, so I can I, read more about this. Yeah. Um, the manuscripts due November one. Okay. So, I'm, I'm, I'm heavily through, but still got a ways to go. Now, if people want to read your other two books or work with you as a, a therapist, how would they go about finding your work and finding you to work with you? Sure. I don't have two books. I have a chapter in, okay. in one book. I apologize. Um, uh, how they go is to my website, which is focusingonboarding at gmail.com. I have a community, so... I'm me and I'm also my community of trainers. Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, we well, work in community. Well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll make sure to include all that information in the show notes, links to the book and links to your community as well. Super. Excellent. And uh, I look forward to reading your book when it comes out. Thank you so much, Michael. Yeah. It's been really enjoyable. Very nice to talk to you, Jan. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Be safe.